Welcome to today's Church Central podcast. We're a family of churches across Birmingham. To find out more, head to churchcentral.org.uk. Now, if you're around uh, last Sunday, quick show of hands, who was around last Sunday? Uh, a fair few of you. Um, sadly, I was Now, if you're around uh, last Sunday, quick show of hands, who was around last Sunday? Uh, a fair few of you. Um, sadly, I wasn't. I was struck down with covid and was therefore unable to bring last week the message I'm going to bring today. Uh, Very much the 11th hour, Rich stepped in and crafted what was a magnificent talk that I have listened to online, in which he highlighted three things or three places that Jesus may well be leading us into this year. Uh, For those who are around or have listened to it subsequently, do you remember what one of those or, or three of those things were? First one, where might Jesus be leading us into or taking us into? A place of intimacy. Secondly, into seasons of desert. Uh, And for all of us, very much onto mission. That's right. Be encouraged, Rich. Intimacy, (laughs) desert, and mission. This week, I want to take it a step further and I want to explore how to make the most of those places, those things, those circumstances, those seasons that Jesus brings into our lives. If you like, what's he looking for in us as we do those things or go through those things? From his perspective, what does it mean to practically live well as we do those things through this year and beyond. Now, uh, picture's going to appear on the screen. This isn't God, although he has been viewed as a kind of God to many. Anyone tell me who this person is? Steve Jobs. Back in 2005, towards the end of Steve Jobs' life, he gave a now legendary talk that addressed what a well-lived life really looks like. He gave this advice, remembering that I will be dead soon is the most important tool I've ever encountered to help me make the big choices in life. Because almost everything, all external expectations, all pride, all fear of embarrassment, all failure, all these things just fall away in the face of death, leaving what is truly important. Now, these words have rung true for a lot of people. What Steve Jobs, I think, is trying to describe here is the importance of a whole life perspective, making decisions which, on your deathbed, will then make sense to you. And I think that's helpful advice as far as it goes. But in Luke 12... Jesus tells the story of another entrepreneur. If you're familiar with the story, he managed to live such a successful life that he was able to take early retirement. It's like he'd reached the point where he didn't need to be a slave to his work. He knew how to stop, and he wanted to enjoy the fruit of his labors. He planned it all really meticulously, really very carefully. It was a life that arguably would have made tremendous sense from his deathbed. But if you know the story, 
when the man eventually dies, God's verdict over his whole life is, you fool. He seems to have lived with a whole life perspective, and yet as Jesus goes on to explain, that is not enough. To live a worthwhile life, Jesus explains we need not just a, a whole life perspective, we need a whole eternity perspective. This guy in the story spent his whole life ignoring the God who had given him every breath, ignoring what God says really counts in life. And so tragically, he wasted his life. I mean, just imagine that. A whole life lived. And at the end, the verdict is an utter waste of time. You fool. And I think that story should make all of us sit up and think. And so as we kind of embark on a brand new year, I want us to just reflect a bit together on this simple question. What is a well-lived life? What's the kind of life that really counts in eternity? And to help us out, I want to look at some famous instructions from Jesus, which he gave to his friends, to his close followers, shortly before his death. If you want to follow along, we're going to be in John chapter 15, and I'm going to pick it up in verse 1. Jesus says, I am the true grapevine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so that they'll produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I've given you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine. You are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burnt. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. So what do we learn here about the nature of a well-lived life? Well, I think three things. First of all, fruitfulness is what counts. The end of the day, when you strip it all back, fruitfulness is what counts. In this passage, Jesus picks up on this massive theme in the Bible. It's there in the Psalms, it's there in Isaiah, in Jeremiah, in Ezekiel. In all those parts of the Bible, God is described as being like a gardener. And that's what we see here in verse 1. I am the true grapevine, Jesus says, and my father is the gardener. And I think the whole point of this analogy, this picture, is that God wants his people, he wants us to be 
fruitful. That's the whole reason gardeners plant vines in the first place. They want one day to get some fruit from them. And so God nurtures his people. He cares for them. He gives them all manner of different blessings. And his aim running through all of that is for his people to then live the kind of life that shows the rest of the world what he's really like. The idea is that people live these kinds of lives so that others are then drawn in to worship God and even more fruit ends up being produced. And just to underline how incredibly incredibly important this is, look at the lengths Jesus will go to in order to bring about fruit in our lives. Verse 2, he cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. And he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so that they will then produce even more. Let's be honest, pruning does seem a bit of a a strange thing to do, doesn't it? Cutting back perfectly healthy branches seems counterintuitive. It seems unnecessarily wasteful and destructive. It feels so incredibly inefficient. I mean, how could this possibly be helping? But although it's perhaps initially quite disturbing to read that God is in the habit of pruning us. Actually, I think it's wonderful news to know that all those painful things in each of our lives, but those things that have been cut off, whether it's relationships, our health, our hopes, our dreams, every time something is chopped off, This passage is telling us there is a reason for it. Although the blades are sharp, the hands that hold them couldn't be more loving. And so for every person here today who's maybe even now feeling something of the pain of loss from this past year, I'm in no way looking to make light of some of the things that you have been through or are perhaps still very much in the midst of. But I want you to know our Heavenly Father is an expert gardener and every single cut is perfectly designed to maximize his purpose in our lives. Our growing Christ-likeness, our increasing fruitfulness. So God's incredibly committed to our fruitfulness, even though, this is hard, even though it might be painful at times. But all that being said, sadly, most of the time, when this image of a vine and a gardener is used in the Old Testament, when the gardener goes to check on his vineyard, he often finds stinking, rotten, fruit, which incidentally is why his people ended up in exile, because they consistently failed to love God and love one another the way they should. And this is the whole context into which Jesus makes this pretty stunning claim in verse 1. Jesus says, I am the true 
grapevine. He's saying, if you want to see a picture of what true fruitfulness really looks like, just look at me. I'm at the center, Jesus says, of all of God's purposes. I'm the fulfillment of everything Israel, God's special chosen people, were always intended, designed, created, supposed to be. don't know if you've dug deep into the Old Testament law and wisdom literature, but if you read it, it can be hard going at times, but it's also very, very attractive. It describes life as it was first designed to be lived, a life very much centered on God, a life overflowing with love and compassion and justice and mercy and wisdom and zeal and humility. Someone's described God's law as being a little bit like the blueprint for a beautiful yacht. And when Jesus came to earth, at long last, people could see the real thing sailing past them. And it was even better than anything or everything they ever could have dreamt of. Jesus embodied true fruitfulness. He was the embodiment of all of God's gracious good rules for living. The world has only ever seen one perfectly, truly fruitful human life. And as we've already modeled today, as we've worshipped, we are still uh, marveling at it today. But Jesus didn't merely come to show the world what a fruitful life looks like. Uh, He came to us to clean us up and empower us, to, to breathe life into us, to enable us to follow him, and in following him, be fruitful just as he is fruitful. That's the first thing we see here. Moving on, secondly, Jesus taught that fruitfulness is not just important, but that fruitfulness comes from being connected to the vine, from being connected to him. Look down at verse 5. Jesus says, yes, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. So amazingly, what what Jesus seems to be promising here is that what God's people in the Old Testament never fully managed to do, living lives of love towards God and others, Jesus says this reality isn't merely a faint possibility for you now. Now, if you are connected to him, this is now actually a promise Those, Jesus says, who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. This is the empowering promise of Jesus to us. I remember many years back when God first started speaking to me about coming to Birmingham and leading a church here. If truth be told, I didn't want anything at all to do with it. Largely because I couldn't see how I could possibly do it. I just didn't think I had it in me. It seemed way too difficult. But over the years, as I've looked to Jesus, though I am still weak, he's provided all the strength I've needed. And 
And the times when maybe I grew slightly overconfident and took my eyes off Jesus and thought, well, now maybe I can manage in my own strength. Those invariably have been the times when, when I've ended up struggling. It's a wonderful promise Jesus is giving us in this passage. If we stay connected to Jesus, we're empowered to live a new kind of life that we never could have done beforehand. And the picture Jesus gives us here to help us grasp this logic that fruitfulness comes directly from our connection to him, the picture he gives us is of a disconnected branch. Verse 4, remain in me and I'll remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. It's quite a simple point. I don't think you have to be an expert gardener to get it. Jesus is basically saying we've got two options in front of us. We can either be the kind of branch that stays connected, and if we stay connected, fruit inevitably will start growing, or alternatively, we can become detached from the source of life and end up shriveling up and decaying. Those are the two options. Now, I kind of want this image to become embedded in your mind. I want you to remember that without connecting to Jesus, you are the equivalent of a dry stick. And so, lacking in imagination, I've brought in a dry stick to wave in front of you and for you to get this image into your minds. You may have seen it as a visual aid in another one of my talks online where I spoke about logs in eyes. I mean, it's a, a multifaceted visual aid, uh, very useful. Um, without connection to Jesus, you are the equivalent of a dry stick. It's not that apart from Jesus, you can be a little less productive than you might have been. Now, according to verse 5 here, apart from Jesus, you can do, what's the word? Nothing. A life lived disconnected from Jesus is utterly fruitless, totally pointless. It's wasted. Now, I'm aware this is so incredibly different from what the world around us is constantly telling us, isn't it? Practically, from the moment we are born, we're being told the opposite message. We're told, believe in yourself. You can be whoever you want to be. You can achieve whatever you want to achieve. You can live the truly fruitful life all by yourself. And you know what? I think even as believers, we rarely take what Jesus says in verse 5 here seriously. I mean, do we really believe this? For example, when we're advising younger people, perhaps, we, we say things like, the key thing to enable you to live a fulfilled and productive life is to work hard and get the best grades you can in your exams. Or we encourage them to perhaps do something they love or maybe find the right person. But is that really key? Is that the secret to a fruitful life? If I'm being honest, day to day, as I reflect on the way I often live, 
thing I tend to focus on is simply nailing my to-do list. That's probably what I think makes for a productive, fruitful day. But the reality, Jesus says, is so different. He says fruitfulness is what counts. And on your own, we're like this withered stick. And we can't produce anything worthwhile by ourselves. We can't love God. We can't fully love one another. We certainly can't impact the world for God. We we can't do anything that counts or lasts eternally on our own. Apart from me, verse 5, you can do nothing. Now, if we really did believe Jesus' words here, that the only way to be truly productive is to remain closely connected to him, then surely that's got to impact the way we approach our everyday lives. And so, having already done a little bit of group work this morning, we're now, that was merely the, the prelude or the warm-up to, once again, you're gathering uh, with the people you were with before, perhaps, and uh, now you've broken the ice with them. And just for a couple of minutes, I'd like to discuss what difference this might make. Practically, what are some of the things you would do each day if you truly, genuinely believed that remaining closely connected to Jesus was the only way to a fruitful life? Okay, so turn to the people around you. If, again, you just want to listen to others and not say anything, that's fine. But just grapple with this for a couple of minutes. Uh, There is not time for me to get feedback from every group, so um, I'm merely going to trust that you were on topic and came up with some uh, helpful stuff. I guess what I want you to see is that this stuff isn't merely duty, it's not kind of obligation. No, Jesus is presenting us with something incredibly positive here. What he's doing is letting us in on the secret of a truly fruitful life. And the good news is, it is accessible to everyone, regardless of your age, regardless of your qualifications, your marital status, your health, regardless of your past, perhaps mistakes and regrets you have in your past, you can still live a fruitful life. But Jesus is nothing if not honest. And so, having touched on the positive, he also outlines the negative. In verse 6, he says, Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burnt. And somewhat soberingly, as Jesus utters these words in the upper room the night before he dies... Just before this, Judas has walked out of that room on his way to betraying Jesus. Judas has turned his back on Jesus forever. And against that backdrop, Jesus is warning his disciples that if we don't remain connected to him, then we will face a terrible judgment, as Judas himself eventually did. Now, earlier on in John's Gospel, Jesus has made some pretty wonderful promises. In chapter 6, verse 39, for example, Jesus says, I will lose no one that the Father gives me. Or in chapter 10, verse 28, no one can snatch my people out of my hands. So Jesus says, 
if someone is truly his, they belong to him and they're safe. But not everyone who looks like they're following Jesus truly belongs to him. Just like in this passage, not everyone who looks like they are connected actually is. Jesus doesn't want his promises that he will hold tightly onto his people to lead to presumption in us. Verse 6 here doesn't allow us the luxury of being complacent. We might say we belong to Jesus, but Jesus is asking us the question, do you really? Right now, are you clinging on to me? Today, are you connected to me? If you're not obeying me, Jesus says, then by default, you are living apart from me. And those who aren't connected to me are heading for the fire. Sobering stuff. So we've seen two basic gardening tips so far. First of all, what we've seen, what, what really matters? Fruitfulness. And secondly, fruitfulness comes from being connected to Jesus, the vine. Therefore, it follows that the key thing in living fruitful, productive lives is staying close to Jesus. And so, if you're listening to all of this and you're perhaps concerned that you might be in danger of being thrown into the fire, if you're unsure whether or not you are genuinely connected to Jesus, here's what you need to do. Thirdly and finally, and very simply, Grow in relationship with Jesus. Just grow in relationship with Jesus. Jesus is calling us, inviting us in this passage to stick close to him. It's there in verse 4. Remain in me and I will remain in you. Or as Jesus puts it again down in verse 9, remain in my love. So Jesus is appealing for us to remain close to him. That really is the whole point of this teaching. But it's not remaining close to him in the way we might perhaps remain close to a life belt. You know, just make sure we're never too far away from it in case we might need to grab it. No, we're to remain close to Jesus in the way that a branch stays connected to a vine, receiving from him day by day, being inwardly nourished and sustained by him. And to that end, in the rest of the passage, Jesus gives us five essential tips on how to stay connected to him. And if you come back next Sunday, I will share those five practical tips with you. Otherwise, we'd still be here at half past 12 listening to me. So it's good news. Come back next week. I'll give you those five essential tips. But this is how I I just want to close this out today. We began with that question, didn't we? What is a well-lived life? I hope it's a question we're interested in. What, What would make a life worth living, a life that counts into eternity? That's the question. And wonderfully, Jesus takes the guesswork out of it. He tells us exactly the answer fruitfulness is what counts. And fruitfulness, as we've seen, 
is a promise for all those who will remain connected to Jesus. So Jesus' call to us today is to be those who simply stick close to him and grow in our relationship with him. Of all the things we could go for as a church in the coming year, this is the number one absolute priority. Everything else flows from this. We could stand here and present you with a whole bunch of goals for the year and targets for us to be aiming at. And we have got a few. We may share them in due course. But if we don't get this right, then all of the rest is worthless. And actually, if we get this right, we are likely to accomplish everything God has for us anyway. To change the analogy, as I really do draw into a close, to change the analogy from vines to Christmas trees, I think there's the temptation to live the Christian life like a chopped tree. It's like we decorate it with baubles and lights, tinsel, in an attempt to make it look attractive. But we're fighting a losing battle. As the the needles start to drop, we can frantically water the tree in a desperate attempt to prolong its life. They even spray it green to try to trick people. But we're, we're kind of missing the point. Without roots, it is dead. If you want a tree that lasts, top advice, go for one with roots. And not just roots that are shallow and unlikely to make any difference. Roots that are healthy and go deep. You know, I think there's a Christian version of the Christmas tree. Without really working at friendship with Jesus, without really working at listening to him and praying to him and knowing him and walking with him and spending time with him, you're trying really hard to go to lots of meetings and serving and giving the impression of being a good Christian. But do you know what's going to happen? You're going to find you're not really changing much. After two or three years of being a Christian, you're, you're not a whole lot more loving. You're not much more joyful. You're not much more patient. You're not much more humble. You're no better at taking criticism. You're no better at overcoming your habits. You've hardly changed at all. You've changed a little bit, perhaps, but there's very little fruit. Why? Because you're not drawing from the source of life. To become a Christian, to become a follower, a friend of Jesus, means to come into the vine, to have your branches connected to Jesus, and to have ever-deepening roots into him. And so, as we look ahead to this year, my prayer is that we would bear much fruit, individually and as a church. And so my very simple, basic appeal is this. Won't you look to Jesus? Look to Jesus. Over and above everything else, be intentional about becoming more connected to him. Prioritize becoming more deeply rooted in your relationship, your friendship with him. Because the more we're connected to him, the more our roots go deeply into him, the more of his life will flow through us and the more good fruit will produce.